You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> well, I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. <laughs> you could just look at her license. My a special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. This is why I drink. We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and, you know, we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there and then call us back later. But the key is is that they don't know all their rights or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding uh, so they can help themselves and their families as the best they can. And the number is? Is 800-770-7008. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean Bryant. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you by Brad, Sean Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we have, first of all, we have a Royal Rumble of an episode. Kicking off the show, we're going to go with, uh, well, we're opening up the vault first of all. And we're going back to episode 583 with Greg Gagne. Next! Really, little Richard Gere, Deborah Harry, American Gigolo, Call Me. <laughs> I love this song. I, I really do. I actually like that movie, and I don't know why. To tell you the truth, I like that movie, but I do. We had the original American Gigolo, you know. Who was that? Ric Flair. Well, that's true. Yeah, the, <laughs> the original American Gigolo. I, I think he did better than uh, Wilt did. Oh, God, Wilt. He really, he buying that 20000 you know, I was uh, Jim and I come back. We came back from uh, from Japan. Yeah, we had to make a we had to wrestle uh, in Hawaii, and uh, it was on a Wednesday. Uh, so we got in Tuesday night, and we had to fly out. They put us on early to fly out to Winnipeg so we could make it by Thursday night. And they had us over to this bar next to the hotel, in a big room in the back, glass windows, and there was some fantastic talent in there that yeah. night. Even though we weren't looking. No, you weren't. No, of course not. And uh, Wilt was there. Oh, Wilt was there. He was there. And we got to spend some time with him. Not much, because he would he would, uh, he would look over at uh, some talent and walk out the door most of the time with two at a time. 
sometimes three. And this guy's how old at the time? Oh, God, I don't know what he He was probably in his mid to late 40s. Mid to late 40s. I would think. Just still hitting the home runs. Oh, my God. They were walking out two at a time with him. Then he'd be gone for 45 minutes, and I would come back, and he'd be there for about 10 minutes, and... <laughs> a couple more out again, and he did this all night. We we stayed there till about three in the morning. Just so watching. it might be true. Yeah, it might be true. Twenty thousand might yeah. be true before the blue pill. Yeah, guys, there's a there's the man. Yeah, we never needed it back then. Oh, yeah, I suppose not. The real man. The real man. The real man didn't need that. Yes, the real man. Not in the ring. No, no, you don't. Oh God, we're all distant runners. You know, we were in shape. <laughs> Is that what it was? Ah, 15 seconds or so. You know, yeah. <laughs> distance. A lot of distance going on. So what are you up to these days, man? Well, uh, working on a project, uh, uh, you know, about the last couple of years, a reality show with legendary athletes uh, in a in a setting, a casual setting in a speakeasy that David Brooks owns over That's in St. Paul. And... Um, Hopefully, uh, with your participation, we're going to get this off the ground. And uh, is David going to be there? David will be there because I'm a member of that club, but I, know. I, don't, I don't have my key anymore. We'll get you. No. But I got to get a new key from because I st- I have a locker and I I don't know if I want to open that locker <laughs> because there's a one or two boxes of cigars that have been in there for about five years. I'm sure the guys got to him by now. Well, Maybe I hope not. so. There's, there were also it was about a case of wine in there. Perfect. Well, we're going to bring another case down there, so we're going to have everybody loosened up. So it's going to we're going to shoot it on Sunday. Shoot it on Sunday. Uh, sending it out to California to a company out there, uh, Craig Shoemaker. He's a comedian, mm-hmm. stand-up comedian, right. writer. Very good. And his partner, Nancy Mills, and she currently has 15 shows on TV. And that is unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know some of the shows she has? A tank, Shark oh, yeah. Tank is one of them. Shark Tank. I think that's the big one. That's a big one. Yeah, that, that show's huge. Yeah, she's done. Uh, she's done very well. So she wants to see uh, some footage, see the characters, right? Put it together, and <clears throat> then if it's good, they'll shoot a sizzle reel, and she'll pitch it for us. That's a great idea. You've been working on this for a long time. A long time, three years with it, you know. But it's so hard, Tom, as you know, to get into Hollywood if you don't have that connection or the right person. Right. Uh, I know this is a good concept. Uh, I've been around the people. And fans of all sports want to be that fly on the wall that gets those inside stories that they've never heard about the athletes. Right. You know, and it's not, the, it's not what happened on the field. It's things that... Happen on the road, in the locker room. Hey, you know, after the locker room. Brunzel was just in there a couple of weeks ago, Uh Jim. He's just a great guy. He was talking about Mad Dog. Yeah. I mean, the the behind-the-scenes stuff was just amazing. He told you the airplane story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the most bizarre plane ride I've ever been on in my life. No, he he said uppers, downers, there was everything. But He but, had everything in him. But this guy didn't know the other guy had given the downers or the uppers or what? Uh, well, he was, we were, we, were fly, we were flying to, to, to Omaha, and uh, he liked to play cribbage, and he was sitting across the aisle from me, and the seven passengers, all we could take with the, the, the wrestlers, and he leaned over and he says, Greg, will you do me a favor tonight? And I said, "Well, what's that, Mad Dog?" <laughs> he says, "I want to wrestle early. I am meeting my wife's fi- or my wife to be her fiance, her family." So I said, "Sure." So we get there, and he's hurt, and he's about fifty years old at the time. And uh, 
somebody had gave him a pain pill. Yeah, right. That's how the whole day started. That's how it started. Right. So a mad dog, once in a while, liked to drink a pint of whiskey before he went in the ring. <laughs> so whoever gave him this Vicodin, he chugged it down with the, uh, with the pint of whiskey. With the whiskey. So he goes on the second match, and geez, he wasn't out in the ring, but four or five minutes, he came back, beat the hell out of this poor kid, and he's sitting there, and I said, what happened? I destroyed a kid. I have to get to this dinner tonight. <laughs> so Joe Dusick, the promoter, always had two cases of beer in the locker room. So he's had the Vicodin, pint of whiskey, and now he starts drinking some beer. So we're sitting there, and it goes a couple more matches, and there's an intermission, and then we're wrestling that night, and he's still there. And I said, Mad Dog. Don't you need to get going? I'll go when I want to go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know? I'll go when so, I want to so, go. Okay. So we backed off. So we went out. We wrestled for about 45 minutes. There was an intermission in between that. We came in to get a cold beer. Nothing's left. Two cases. He cashed two cases of beer. I don't know beer. if he did, but him and a couple of guys did. So we went to the airport. And we get to the airport, and a cab pulls up, and here comes Mad Dog. He gets out, and he's wobbly, <laughs> right? And he's got a T-shirt on. He's got barbecue sauce dripping from his beard and on his T-shirt. And Steve Olsonowski is with him. And I said, Steve, what happened? He said, well, we went to dinner, and we, he drank wine. He drank beer, then he drank wine, and then... We stopped, and he had to get another pint of whiskey before he got on the plane. Oh, my God. So he, he was drinking that in the cab, so he was getting kind of wild. So I handed him a joint, thinking this would calm him well, down. He's got it all going now. That's right. <laughs> now hey, Dr. Dog, Basham, you can't comment on anything. Before. Yeah. So, this, so, this, so it's really like a pharmacy when you Oh, my God. Oh, the got, yeah, there's, I, I'll tell you another story here in a minute. But You need so, a pharmacist to, to go along oh, with you. Don't give him that joint. Give him this. Oh, Christ. Just calm him down. Some dandies. So they get on the plane, and we put Mad Dog in the back seat. So he's pissed off because he can't play cribbage. And he's sitting next to Adrian Adonis, who he doesn't like that well. Adrian Adonis. There's a name. Oh. And Mad Dog is, I don't know what he was saying to uh, uh, to, to uh, Adrian, but all of a sudden, we're playing cards, and the plane goes boom, and the whole back end moves. Oh! And we all ducked. We thought another plane hit us. Oh God! So we finally, as we look up, the pilots, what the fuck's going on back there? <clears throat> and here's Mad Dog standing. All you can see is his back outside. He had opened the door. Now, so this plane's at 7,000 feet. Yeah, we're at 6,500 6, 6, feet. 6,500 feet. He says, I feel like flying tonight. <laughs> and the pilot says, get him back in. We said, well, I think he's going to jump, and we're not going with him. Now, Jim said he already threw a suitcase out. Now he starts that. He gets Oh, it's afterward. Okay. He gets wild like this. And he opens up his wrestling bag, and he throws out his wrestling boots, his tight, his jock strap. Everything goes out. And then empty beer case. Everything that was not attached went out the door. And then the pilot told us it was the only plane built that had chains on it to hold the stairs. Otherwise, they'd blown off, hit the tail, and we'd have gone right down. Oh, yeah. So Mad Dog takes the chain that's holding the window up, ties it around his neck, and he's hanging out there backwards. Oh, it's so peaceful. I feel like flying. So the pilot's yelling at us to get him in. He says, we got to make an emergency landing. So we're going into Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we see Ozark Airlines run way down here, two planes held. 
police cars, ambulances, fire engines all lined up. And they foamed our runway. Oh, my God. And the pilot says, guys, prepare for crash landing. He said, I don't know if that door is going to catch or not. i got to put it down on one wheel. And Brent uh, Winger was our pilot, a Northwest pilot. And he took that thing in and, boy, just set us down. And we came to a stop, and here comes the police and the ambulances and the fire engines. And we turn around, and all this foam had come in the back. And Mad Dog's got it all over him. <laughs> and out of, the, out of the plane he gets, and he takes off walking across the runways that now they're the releasing phone. those are planes. He's walking in front of pl- active planes. So the police come and they say, hey, go get him. <laughs> you go get him. He's out of his mind. He opened the door up there. So we ran out there. And as we got to him, he turned and he cuffed us both, Jim and I. So we hit him back, and about that time, this jet plane went by, and it was so close, it blew us right over. Oh, my God. I mean, we rolled in the dirt, and we just left him and went back, and he's still walking down the runway. So the police ran out there, and now they're trying to handcuff him. (laughs) I'll kill you, you (laughs) (laughs) they, They finally get him back to the plane, and they said, we can either put him on the plane with you, or we can lock him up for the night. And when they said lockup, he went bananas. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll put him in here. The pilot said, put him behind me. And we put two seat belts on him, one across here and here, so he couldn't lift his arms. <laughs> Good move. All the way back, he's looking at us. I'm going to kill you when I get out of here. <laughs> so, Mad dog. Oh. Brunzel gets right. pretty whipped up at telling those stories, too. Jimmy's such a good guy. Yeah. It's funny because... I didn't know Jim was so political. Oh yeah, he's a very, he's political very political guy. He really and he always has been. He said, and I didn't know that about him before. I, not that I care, you know, one way or the other. But I just never realized he was so involved in politics. Oh, he really is. He's uh, he's locked into Obama. <laughs> <laughs> he's locked into a. Where is he? he's over there somewhere? <laughs> well, you know, Jim. Uh, I met him in college in 1967 at Minnesota, mm-hmm. and. We had a he had a class. They were doing a study. He was doing a report on the Kennedy assassination. Okay. And he really got into it. And I mean, he was calling the government and the, the whole thing. Oh God. And pretty soon they had they told him he had to stop. Really? Oh yeah. He got some really nasty calls. You mean because he was coming with conjecture? I guess so. I, <laughs> I don't know. I never wanted to get near him, though. So he got calls asking him to stop doing stop this? Stop doing it. He was kind of really? a warning. Yeah, you should ask him about it sometime. God, I should ask him about it. So, so basically, he's just looking into the assassination of oh, JFK. He was looking, I mean, he was writing papers, and he was... Oh, oh that's... Okay. You know, he had a lot of, lot of stuff and had talked to a lot of people. A lot of theories. A lot of theories. So was he a, was he a grassy knoll kind of guy? Yeah. No, he was more <laughs> of a cons- yeah. no. There was yeah. more of a conspiracy than that. Was what he thought, and and based what on what? what? So what was the conspiracy? Ba- why did they want to kill him? Uh, that I don't know. I never got into it with Jim. <laughs> I'll ask Jim next time. Yeah, I see him. you have to ask him. Yeah, I mean, that- I mean I've always been interested in it too. But uh, no, they were. He was getting some getting some calls. God, that's amazing, isn't it? That is yeah, unbelievable. It's a good story. Call. You should. They should write a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it in his book? 
I don't think so. I don't. He know. didn't put any of that. In I his don't book? think he did. I Is haven't he... seen his book yet. I've read some of the, the the things that he's put in there, and it's 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 all basically about the personalities and the and the, and the right. some of the stories. Now, we won't get deeply into this next one, but I see that your old friend and mine. Uh, Jesse Ventura is suing another. Oh, God, I saw that on TV today. Now he's suing the uh, the publisher. The publisher. No, it's their fault, too. I tried to call him today. I you called his call lawyer, Jesse? David Olson. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was trying to get Jesse to come down for this thing Sunday. Oh, if I'm going to be there, he won't come. Won't he? Oh, God, no. Well, I don't think he'd come anyhow. No, he's, but, there's no money in it for him. No. I need a personality. I mean, I mean we got good personalities, but they want a character. I try to get oh, Baron von Raschke down there. Baron's a great guy. Isn't he? But he's got a, his granddaughter's got a uh, recital that day at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. But we still have J.P. Parise. He's gonna, oh, he JP's said he's going to make wonderful. it. J.P.'s a wonderful You know, guy. he's going through some tough times. Yeah, that's what I understand. He Zach said he's going to be there. Father. For for our younger audience, Zach Parisi's father, J.P. Parisi, is one of the funniest. <laughs> not, he's so funny as hell. Isn't he's he? amazingly funny guy. <laughs> Just a great guy. He's got all the stories in the world. Oh, I'm talking to him last week. He called me back. 45 minutes, he's on the phone nonstop. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's telling me. I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, I've been watching the wild here. Uh, what do you think of the coaching staff? <laughs> and he says, well... There is some good coaching. <laughs> there is some good coaching. And I said, well, and? He says, well, you know, I am watching them play Pittsburgh. He says, and Crosby's on the ice. Oh, yeah. And they put the fourth line out there against Crosby, and they score a goal. So I'm going, well, one time, a mistake. End of the first period, right near the end, Crosby's on the ice. The fourth line is out there. Crosby's line scores again. And I'm going, now, if I'm the coach, <laughs> this is starting to sink in now. That's JP. Second period, Crosby's on the ice, the fourth line again, a third goal. Honest to God. And he said, then in the third period again. Now I'm thinking to myself, there is some good coaching and there are some that's not so good. <laughs> as an as a onlooker, I am saying to myself, I know better than that. <laughs> as an onlooker, yeah, well... Now, JP, so he's going to be there on Sunday. He's in, yep, hopefully he is. Uh, he, yeah. he said he wanted to be, so. I understand, absolutely. Yeah, we got him and Lepresti, and you know how that goes. Oh, Lepresti's another great guy. Isn't he? Lepresti's another really, really good guy. <laughs> I can't, well, they've got to be one-year-old compadres come down there from the wrestling world. Well, we've got a couple down there. I saw, uh, there's a, uh, Steve Allen narrated a special called the, the I think it was the Un... Unreal story of professional wrestling came out in like 1998, oh, yeah. uh, and I thought it fascinating because everybody uh, was in that documentary mm-hmm. except for Jesse. Yeah, he was the only one of you guys that wasn't in that movie. There's yeah. a reason for that. <laughs> so what was it? I mean, unless you don't want to talk about it. Well, he just wasn't that well liked what? by his peers. That's what I understand from every guy I talked to. He just yeah. they didn't like him. No. I got along with him okay, but, you know, he was just a very into-himself, arrogant yeah, person. Yeah. And not as good as he thought he was. Well, no, I mean, every wrestler I talked to said he was a terrible wrestler. Oh, he was, yeah. He was terrible. But he had Adrian in there, and Adrian really carried the match, and then Jesse right. came in when they had control of it. Yeah, and Jesse was a good commentator. Oh, God. I mean, he was very you know, good at he that. He talked the talk. people into the building. 
Yeah, he yeah. did. No, he, he got did. the people in the building, and, and, and you have to give him credit. He was one of the great talkers of all time. There's I mean, no he talked question. himself right into the governorship. Right into the governor's <laughs> mansion. I, I, one thing I, about that, uh, and again, Steve Allen was a great narrator anyway. He's no longer with us. But um, you look back now, and for our younger listeners, Greg's father, Vern Gagne, started the AWA. Uh, back in those days, wrestling had territories. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was a mob thing. They no. just had, they just had <laughs> territories. It was pretty much like a. It wasn't really a TV deal. It was just a territory. It was just a territory. And know. I don't know how they figured that out. What you got? I don't either. I know they had them. Uh, uh, my father started wrestling in 1949. Graduated in 48 right. from the university. Started in 49. Uh, they told him he was too small. He had one I match remember. in Minneapolis with a. Abe King Kong Cashy. And in the front row was uh, Billy Bai, Jim Malosky, and Bud Grant, his three buddies. God. So at one point in the match, Cashy's kind of hammering on, on Vernon. The three of them jump up. <laughs> Cashy says, Sit down, punks. <laughs> and they all sat back down. <laughs> That's good. We'll sit back down. When you, when you look back now, I mean, what your father did was pretty amazing. It really was. Putting yeah. that together the way he put it together. Yeah. I mean, if you grew up in the Midwest, it was every Saturday night. It was uh, you would Sunday sit down morning. And Sunday that. morning. Yeah. I mean, you would sit down on the TV. It was just a terrific thing. I know Jeff Passel. He talked about the fact that he and his five brothers, after All-Star Wrestling, they were in their jockeys wrestling in the, in the bedroom. You know, everybody was wrestling. Oh, God, I hear that from more people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was just it was part of, of our lives as young boys and young men. And the great thing about it was when you would have guys like the Crusher or, you know, anybody like that had that certain delivery mm-hmm. everybody would imitate it oh yeah you know there was even a song called the crush yeah we played that before haven't we andy i think so the crusher how does it do the yeah, crusher do by the crusher. oh yeah yeah we did who yeah. does it do the crusher by i can't remember the, the i think it was a local again. group here. it was a local yeah. group yeah. it was the novas the novas uh, <laughs> andy you are quick unbelievable what i do all day what do you got andy Loud the barrel. There a lot he is. of people are going to mistake me for Johnny Cash. But I'm not Johnny Cash. I'm the Crusher. Do the hammer lock. <laughs> yep. I do the hammer lock. No, I got to be honest. With you. A kid from North Minneapolis. A lot of friends out in the Golden Valley area. Robbinsdale. A hell of a lot of wrestlers yep. came out of Robbinsdale. You would go out with your buddies on a Saturday night. Have a few beers, and it was all that. Yeah, that's what it was. Night, night after night, weekend after weekend, and I've talked to Greg about this before. Um, hanging out with the fellas, I'm talking about the professional wrestlers mm-hmm. now, because I used to go to the gym with them a lot and get to know almost all of them, and you know through the KQ Morning Show. But we and you and I have talked about this before that you were sitting at the bar having a ball. God, we were having just a ball with these guys. But then all of a sudden, there was just something in the air. It's time to go home. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be me, but somebody's going to get their ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, <somebody, yeah. laughs> I don't know who it's going to be. And it, it never went, failed. It never failed. No. And they wouldn't turn on their own friends, so I wasn't in any danger or anything. I just didn't want to be around to watch some stupid asshole. And that's what always happened. 
some tough guy thought, well, I'm going to take on. Yeah. No, you're you're not going to take these guys on. I'm sorry, but again, uh, my top weight was 341, and Mike Eggstrand, who was who was Hawk in the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, military pressed me. In a hotel really? room in Orlando, Florida. No kidding. I was like, how is that even possible? <laughs> but back then, I mean, his biceps yeah. were as big as people's legs. Mm-hmm. They're just massively strong. <laughs> but for some reason, guys in bars thought, well, I'm going to take a run at him. It so, never what? failed. <laughs> it never failed. It never failed. But God, it was fun leading up to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who got picked on more than anybody and I could never figure out why, was Larry the axe hitting. Larry? And Larry is like 6'4", you know, 320 pounds. Oh, yeah. And he's telling a story. One day they're out at, uh, uh, God, what was the, the chalet out on Highway 55? Oh, yeah, the chalet. Sunday morning. On a 100. And, you know, a lot of people, Larry wasn't too well liked at that time. Larry pretty Oh, you mean the, by the public? Yeah. Yeah. So Larry he's got his family. Hitting. And they're going through the buffet line at the chalet, and this guy sure. starts giving them on a Sunday morning, giving them oh, crap. God. And Larry kind of, you know, he'd give them that look, and you know, kind of knock out. You know. <laughs> About three of those looks, and then finally, he's near the end of the table, and he gets hit behind the head with a potato. <laughs> Larry, Larry hitting the back of the head. Yeah, the guy threw a potato at him. Oh my God. Well, that was the end of it. The kids and uh, his wife were there, and. Over he goes. He grabs the guy right through the door. But boom, head first through the door and out in the street. I just, I'll, and this was on a Sunday morning. That was a Sunday morning. This is not Brunch. Saturday night at a bar drinking. No. No. What in the hell? Uh, I, I'll never understand. I understand when people got the liquid courage going. Yeah. Or as my friend Kendall calls it, the loud mouth soup. <laughs> <laughs> You're drinking the loud mouth soup and everybody's a tough guy then all of a sudden. But a Sunday morning at a family buffet. I know. Isn't that something? It is something. I just, I mean, when you, back in the day, when you would go out, you and Jim maybe hanging out, well, there were always people running their mouths. Yeah. There was. Just, just, we had a, were. We had a couple. I mean, they just, they wanted to try you. Why? And you know what? I don't know. We had a, we used to have some Wednesday night parties around town. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a good friend, George Carrilla, who was the bouncer out the left guard. Yeah. And uh, we would call him and say, hey, the party's at the Radisson South. And he'd ship them all over there. God. And Wahoo By them, uh... <laughs> Wahoo McDaniels would make this punch. Oh, with uh, vodka, grapefruit juice, Everclear, and <laughs> about a thousand bennies <laughs> he'd throw in there. Into the punch. Into the punch. Okay. So we're, we're there one night, and Chuck Foreman is there. and I love Chuck. Oh, God. I love Chuck he Foreman. He comes in and I said, hey, Chuck, that punch, stay away from it. Right. Don't drink, you know, don't drink too much of that stuff. Well, Chuck drank two of them. And he's standing against the wall, (laughs) staring. And he didn't move for two hours. I said, Chuck, you all right? And he just was staring. Nothing came out of him. But in the meantime, there was two big bouncers that came in from one of the clubs downtown. And this one kid's about six foot five, almost 300. And he's, he's built. And he comes into the party, and we had just got out of the training camp. Mm-hmm. Rick Flair, Patera, Brunzel, myself, the Iron Sheik, and Bob Bruggers. The Iron Sheik. Oh, there's a movie out about the Sheik, though. You know. Is there really? Yeah, a movie came out. It's called The Sheik. Oh my God! Oh, he was a nutcase. 
Sorry, anyway, go he ahead. He started okay, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, the I, drugs got to him. That might be the case. Yeah. So this big bouncer, there's one Afro-American kid sitting there, a friend of ours, and the guy says, hey, I don't like you, and he grabs his shirt and tears it off. Just some guy. Yeah. And I'm only about 185 pounds, but just came out of the camp. We're pretty. And I said, hey, pal, this is you know a friend of ours. It's our party. You know, take a hike. He says, you're going to make me? Oh, God. I said, you know what? <clears throat> you better, you'd be better off kicking the crap out of me than my friends here. So let's go out in the hallway. So we go out in the hall, and he lifted his hand, and I hit him so quick. I didn't know I had this in me. Hit him on the chin. His legs <laughs> crumbled. He went down, and his head hit the floor. His buddy went to hit me from the side. Red Bastine knocked him out. Another one came running down the hall. Billy Robinson clotheslined him. And the guy got up, and we said, Billy, our guys are down. And, boy, beat the crap. <laughs> our guys are still out, man. But they laid there till 4 in the morning. Really? And I thought, oh, my God, we thought we'd killed the guy. Well, yeah, if a guy hits his yeah. head on the ground. But, uh, you know, we, we were really trained, and we didn't know really what we were what we were yeah what you're capable of become i mean we were pretty raw best of the tom bernard podcast that was greg gagne on the best of coming up next continuing on with the smackdown of clips we had Jumpin' Jim Brunzel back on episode 560, next on The Best Of. Well, Tom, I've been actually um, thinking and, and writing over about four and a half years. Uh, just stories that happened to me and some of my buddies on the road. And I... Think of them and then write them down, or I talk into a dictaphone. And then uh, my wife has been helping me with this, and we've put together uh, about 37 stories. And the name of the book is called Matlands. And uh, it's my uh, two and a half decade career God. telling uh, true stories Amazing. from the wrestling uh, road. <clears throat> and I brought a couple, two or three of them. To, sh- to just let you have, and you can oh, you can take a look at it. The first one is probably the most off-colored ah, one. Read that one. Read that one. <laughs> well, it is the golden shower. And oh, and to be honest with you, um, I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. And uh, uh, there's why not. not? I there, like well, grinding axes. Nah, um, that doesn't get you anywhere. Well, I suppose. And then uh, I, I tried not to. Incorporate too much sex, drugs, and rock and roll because it's a part of society. And I think a lot of people have been overburdened with uh, that in various sports. And wrestling's no other, you know, no different than any other sport or sports entertainment. And we uh, had different sort of band of gypsies that uh, traveled from town to town, and it was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, just taking along. Mad Dog Vachon was enough. 
You talk about a band of gypsies. You know that you opened up an airplane door? That's not yours. I know. I was just going to glance because <laughs> you're not reading it. To open up a well, door of an airplane? Is that what you yeah. started to say? Yeah, he opened yeah. up the door of an airplane while they were in flight. Were you on that flight? No, but I, I was blamed for that. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Can I tell you briefly I'd, real I'd, quick? I'd love it. Okay. We're in Omaha, Nebraska. We're, we're going to wrestle one night, and Mad Dog was sitting in the corner. He was a real strange cat. You know, he sort of looked like the Tasmanian devil, and he he, he was really different, but a wonderful guy and right. tremendous, brilliant in the ring. And uh, his son had been incarcerated in Montreal, his 19-year-old son. Mm-hmm. So Mad Dog was going to fly from Omaha to Minneapolis— and then get in the car and drive to Montreal and then drive back after he took care of the situation mm-hmm. with the son. So in the locker room, and you, you have to realize that back in the early 70s, before we used to fly everywhere, we drove everywhere. So a lot of guys oh, were God. taking Dexedrine, you know. And so I had a couple of Dexedrine 15 milligram time release spaniels. And Mad Dog came up to me and he says, Jim, he said, you have any speed? And I said, yes, I do. I Well, yes, yes I do. I do. <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. So I gave him two of these spaniels and I said, Maurice, I said, you take one when you get to Minneapolis and for your drive to Montreal and then take the other one on your way back. He said, okay. So he was nipping a little uh, Southern Comfort. And he. this is what That's I found out. After he had, he had taken both of them. And drank a pint of Southern Comfort. I was on the plane talking with Adrian Adonis, who his real name was Keith Franks. So they're sitting at the back of the plane, and it's a seven-passenger Navajo chieftain. And Maurice was becoming more agitated and agitated, talking about his son who's in jail. So... Adrian Adonis gave him a quaalude. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Oh. So he took the quaalude and washed it down with uh, uh, some whiskey. And about 15, 20 more minutes, uh, Adrian didn't realize how bad off Maurice was. And he said to Maurice, he said, if it's so bad, why don't you jump out the plane? So he opened the door and threw his bag out, and they were at 6,000 feet flying at about 195 miles an hour. How did that really happen? It's a non-pressurized plane. Right. The door will open. Holy crap. So so what happened was, thank God we had a a, a Northwest Orient pilot, (laughs) scared to death, circled around, cut the speed back, and landed in South Dakota, and then kicked kicked Maurice off the plane. You gotta get off the plane, So I get, a, I get a call at 8 o'clock in the morning that said, Jim, you're supposed to come down and see Vern right away, so I had no idea, because oh, okay. I, I refused to fly the son of a bitch because it was a flying coffin. It's, oh, absolutely. You know, you fly at 6,000 feet, and None so to me. make a long story short, I come into the wrestling office, and Vern says... God damn you. And I said, what's the matter? And he says, you almost killed everybody. And I said, what do you mean I almost killed him? He said, well, you gave Mad Dog two doggone pills. And I said, yeah, I gave him the pills. He said he wanted to drive to Montreal. Mm-hmm. And then he explained to me what happened. And so, to make a long story short, that was one tale of Maurice Vachon. I did not know he threw his bag. I knew he opened the door, but I didn't know he threw his bag. Yeah. I guess he never found that bag, did he? Probably not. No. Probably didn't find the bag. Well, there wasn't much in it. Probably a couple empty bottles and... <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. Is that is that story in the book? Uh, yes, it is. It is great. Yeah, and in the book's called Matlands. Matlands. M A T. M A T L A N D S. I I wrote a song called Matlands in nineteen eighty 
too. And then Springsteen stole it. No. As a matter of fact, I got permission to use his music oh, from Badlands. Yeah, okay. All so right. I wrote it, and I had, uh, I, I don't know how many copies. I think I made a 1,000 copies. And it was a picture disc. It had a picture right, of me on it. Right. And then the, the lyrics were pretty much close to Badlands, except I made it to wrestling, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, there was uh, one little... Uh, lyric in there I, I said i don't want to be rich i just want to be free in the wrestling world that's a curse to me because you can never be free in the wrestling world because you're always indebted to the promoter yeah well that's a fact and, and I mean, that's that, a, just about anything that came that became a, a real issue with uh with um like figures the little dolls and all that stuff that i know the wwe or the WWF at that time mm-hmm. had a huge problem with that because they were making all the money off merchandising and not giving any to the wrestler. Well, we had a lawsuit. Uh, yeah, you had a lawsuit, Brian, right? Brian Blair, my killer re partner, <clears throat> right, and I right. finally uh, sued my dear friend Vince McMahon. Uh, <laughs> and after. you loving Vince, are you? After about four years of uh, you know interrogatories and pushing back and everything, we oh, finally, God. the day before we were going to go to trial, he settled out of court. Oh, he did? Yeah, but according to see, we signed a, a contract. It was sort of a blank contract, and it said that you were going to get 23% of the gross, gross profits at, uh, outside yeah. of wrestling. He paid us 8% of the net. Yeah. That's what it turned out to be. 8% of the net rather than 23% of the gross. Yeah. Yeah, that's these guys. And he's, you know, he's didn't having his some wife, problems. Didn't his wife just spend like. An, uh, an yeah. obscene amount of money running for the U.S. Senate. Yeah, $30 million. $30 million in, bucks, in two right. tries. Oh, that's right. She tried twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my I do remember God. That. And actually, Linda is a, a very uh, intelligent, articulate, mm-hmm. uh, nice woman. I mean, I got along better with her than I did Vince. Now, Vince, no, Vince took it over from his dad, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And how was his dad? His dad was a wonderful guy. I never oh, met him, but okay. for all the guys that have ever uh, mentioned Vince McMahon Sr., they said he was the most honest promoter in the cities. Really? Uh, throughout the USA at that time. Hey, where's Greg, by the way? I thought Greg was coming with you. Well, usually Greg never misses an opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to talk. I know, but I waited out there, and I, I, he told me one thirty. so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 1.30. Oh, yeah, it's too probably, bad, because I'd like to see Greg. I would Craig's too. You know, we we talk to each other, and you know, he's been working on this uh, production of a right. reality show. And right. It's, I mean, is he going to do it? Well, I think we're going to do it, but it's just a matter it's of tough. it's it's, it's tough, tough because place. you have to have the, your own money; otherwise, nobody will want to. That's exactly right. You know, it's hard. There's so many people out there that. Yeah, it's a great idea, Greg. It's a great idea, but you need sixty grand to come up with for a yeah. sizzle reel. <clears throat> no, that's exactly right. So he's still working on that thing. It's good because he really wants to do it. It's a great idea, actually. It's a really good idea. Well, it is because some of the stories uh, that happened in wrestling are just uh, – people don't believe them, but they're true. You know, the, and it's the easiest job in the world. I mean, I, I cannot think of a job that's easier than being like a sideline reporter on the NFL Sunday night game. I, I would agree. I mean, do, you, like do, the, do, you, do you know what the temperature was <laughs> yeah. during the game? That's right. I bet you it was a little chilly. Huh? Oh. I just wonder how much prep do you go through for each week? I started, I started on the flight home. Prep. It's yeah. every single day. Yeah. What prep? Our, well, they, they got to know what to say. God. It's uh, it's a lot. Just ad lib. No, there's Just no get such out there thing. And go, hey, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bay. Hey, Bay. I'm gonna start calling the athletes Bay. Hey, see what Bay. They think. They'd probably be like, Bay. Okay. What's up, Bay? 
God, one of these days, and not, obviously not on the air, but one of these days I'm going to find out who the biggest jerk in the NFL is from you. You are, huh? Yeah, eventually. Well, I mean, according to you. According to me. Hmm. We were talking about the NBA this morning. You want to talk about some assholes. Oh, those guys. I think they're in every sport. Are I think they, but, they're in every industry. Is it because they're of the, the, the coddling every- they've always gotten? Uh, see, I think that's a huge part of it. I think it is. Uh, because from right. the time you show any promise at athletics from a young age, you yep. are deemed <clears throat> special, unique. You maybe even are our, our route out of this life into the next. And yeah. <clears throat> oftentimes it's not just your immediate family. It's a whole extended group of people that are counting on you and building you up right. every single day and not letting any of the criticism seep through. So your picture of yourself is pretty high. But I see I, in general... Uh, going through the sports. First of all, the hockey guys are all nice guys. Ever one, uh, Brad Hall's a prick. Uh, he's not a, well, he <laughs> wow, is. There he, we go. Oh, he's not a good guy. Okay. Well, I've never had any problem with, with telling people to their face, "You're an asshole." Oh. I've never had any problem with that at all. I dread the day you tell me that. So far, so good. Okay, so <laughs> that's anyway, the one in hockey. The one in hockey, because all, all the other hockey guys are nice people. Okay. Wrestlers have always been nice. I can't name one guy I thought was a jerk. In Can wrestling. you? You would know everyone. You know, <laughs> now when they were wrestling, afterward maybe a little different with Jesse, but when he was wrestling, he was a good guy. Yeah, I think I think Jesse was accepted as one of the guys, but he, Jesse was a total loner. Yeah, he he, yeah. he never associated with anybody, and it's a terrible wrestler actually. He was well, a, good, a good performer, he, he but a terrible wrestler. He was an excellent interviewer. Yeah, oh god, and he, he looked great the part. But yep. to be honest with you, he was a little clumsy and yeah. unathletic he in was. the ring. He was absolutely, you know, and he was a little tentative that he w- he might get hurt, but uh, he was incredible because every word that he said, he believed, whether it was true or yeah, not. Yeah, he did. He believed it, <laughs> so that's why he was such I a great that marketer. Continues today. Yes, yes. <laughs> so wrestling, I never had any problem with any wrestling. Nick Bockwinkel, I remember one time uh, when I was working at WDGY, there was a there was a. A wrestling, this goes way back. I mean, long, long time ago. So, like, the Baron would call in. He'd go, hey, Tom. Uh, I'd go, okay, well, just I'll count it down from three, and then you do your deal. And so he would launch into his Baron Von Raschke, and you know, it would be great. <laughs> so a lot of guys. So Nick Bockwinkle. Hi, Tom. I said, hi, uh, hi Nick. Yeah, Nick Bockwinkle. I said, yeah, Nick. He goes, no, it's Nick Bockwinkle. I said, okay, Nick Bockwinkle. I'll count it down from three, and then you can do your deal. What deal? I said, well, you know, whatever you're going to talk about, your deal. I don't have a deal. I am Nick Bockwinkle. I don't have a deal. I swear to God, it was unbelievable. But it was not a bad guy. It was Bockwinkle. Um, And then let's see. Baseball, in general, really good guys. In general. The, The hitting instructor for the Twins is an arrogant prick, but other than that, Tom Bernanski, he's just an arrogant asshole. I mean, I've told them that before. What? Why are you laughing about that? Because uh, I could, I have no such freedom, so I'm kind yeah, of that's like, right. you, you I don't have, have no such freedom. I, I, I guess that. Yeah. You don't have that. Do you know Paul? Mo- yeah. Molitor very well? Molitor, I don't know him really well, but yeah. he's a very nice guy. He is, he is a, nice a good guy. guy. Yeah, Molitor's a really nice guy. Paul is a nice man. He's a huge Bruce fan, too. Uh, almost every yeah. every show I've been to, he's always been back there with Bruce. So. Oh, yeah, I could see that. So, in the NFL... In general, the people that I've I've gotten into, like you know the Dave Huffmans of the world and and Jeff Christie, uh, John Alt, uh, you know Mike Moore, they're nice people. Yeah, the NFL players tend to be nice people. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, Philip Wise is a jerk, but no. aside from that, I love Philip. <laughs> but the NBA is totally different. I, I cannot decide who is a bigger jackass, whether it was Tom Gugliotta or uh, Kevin Garnett. Just jerks. You know, it, it, it's so interesting, too, because I think it depends on some people they treat very well and Do some they? they don't. And so it's yeah. – but but that that implies a certain amount of disingenuousness because, yeah. you know, if you're you and you like yourself and you like people, chances are you're going to be good to just about everyone. No. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Um, so that's really interesting. But I, I also think the thing about the NBA that's unique mm-hmm. is five guys on the court at one time. So mm-hmm. one guy, like Garnett – can change an entire franchise and can be the franchise and by virtue of that becomes immediately just this super huge star yes to whom much is uh on whom much is you know they rely on you a lot and then you they depend on you and then they give you a lot too Mm -hmm. and baby you and coddle you and yeah no we've had two neighbors in the nba We've had two baseball players. Tori Hunter was my neighbor, and, and so was, uh, what the hell was his name? Johan Santana. Mm-hmm. And then Johan Santana sold his house to Al Williams from the Timberwolves. And Al was a very nice man. Mm-hmm. And then Luke Ridnour moved into the neighborhood. Just a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Those guys were terrific. All four of them were just nice guys. I didn't get to know Johan very well or Tori, but they were nice when you'd see him. But some of these guys, it just, it's just so bizarre. It's like, yeah, you're one. Like Kevin Love. What a douche. It's such a shame, too, because honestly, these people have this platform. Right, right. Where they are interacting with youth and they can be these great mm-hmm. examples and. I feel like a lot of them just waste it. Now, you're both from the sports world. Did Kevin Love think when he was going to Cleveland that he was going to be the center of attention? No. Because he's already saying he's leaving. He's already going to opt. He's already said, I'm opting out. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, he announced it today that he's, because they're not giving him the ball enough, he's going to opt out of his contract at the end of the year. At the end of the year. You're going to play with LeBron James in Cleveland, and you thought you were going to be the go to guy. Well, I mean, hold, come on. How many games have they, have like they played? Five. <laughs> no, and you haven't got played. the ball enough? You know, you, you guys don't even know each other yet, no, really. No, But you're never going to be the guy in Cleveland with LeBron James on the court. No, it's never going to happen. Well, I that's just, just strange. Just, it's just, he's a bizarre human. I did see something funny that he did once, though. Alex was there, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Was it three years ago, four years ago? Four, I think. Nick Swardson and Vince Vaughn are in town doing the, the Wild West comedy show. So we have we go to a party at the Chambers Hotel. We're all kind of hanging out, and Alex's friends ogling Vince Vaughn. It was embarrassing. <laughs> she was. But in any case, Kevin Love was coming to the party, and we were down in the lobby of the hotel. And Kevin Love's, what, 6'11", mm-hmm. something like that? And an ice storm had begun, and he slipped onto the ice... And he went about seven feet in the air yeah, it was and then crazy. crashed to oh, the ground. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, my hey, gosh. Hey, professional wrestler did that uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That was, that was not, not what I had. It's funny. I want to mention the Hulk Hogan, too. I don't know if you ever met Terry Bollea. Not a bad guy. Okay. But yeah. he can be a real jackass to other people, too. I well, know that. you know, 
Can I mention just a little you bit about say it? whatever okay. you want. Well, up in jail. you know, when he came here in 1982, he had just made that Rocky IV movie. With right. Stave- uh, Stallone. Stallone. Stallone, yeah. And uh, he was sitting sort of on the top of the world. And actually, he learned an awful lot being in the AWA with guys like Nick Bach, yeah, Uncle and Vernon and everything. And I got to tell you, I, he was real quiet. I mean, he was a real quiet guy and, and <clears throat> never was... It never was any problem, and I remember bringing him over to my house. Mm-hmm. I said, I'd like to bring you over, and, you know, we'll have a nice uh, steak dinner, et cetera. So, and he didn't drink. He, he'd, ha- he'd have Coke or mm-hmm. tea. So I brought him downstairs, and we were wa- they were watching TV, and my little son, Jimmy, who was then he was about two and a half or three years old, uh, was sitting down looking at Hulk and ogling how big he was and everything. So I said to Terry, I said, I'm going to go upstairs and I said, I'm going to cook the dinner. So I said, let me know if you need, need anything. So about maybe half an hour later, I come downstairs with some more hors d'oeuvres and my son, Jimmy the Third, is sitting on Hulk's lap and my son had taken these little cheese squares and kept putting him in Hulk's mouth. And Hulk's mouth was like this. And he said to me, you don't tell your son I don't want any more of this cheese. You know? And Hulk's mouth was completely full of cheese. But uh, now there's the guy who changed. Yes, he did. He did change. You know, That's very true. And he, you know, in 1985, I have this Sports Illustrated. They had a great big picture of Hulk, big facial picture, and it had a headband. It said Hulkster. And it said, Sports Top Banana. He made... $10 million yeah. that year, and yeah. he was the highest paid sports figure. <clears throat> unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your Jumping Jim Brunzel on the best of finishing out this absolutely raw episode of the best of. We go to one of the all time greats, Jim Ross, JR, back from episode 860. Next on the best of. WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross, the new voice of Axis TV's host series, New Japan Wrestling, play-by-play commentary along, uh, being alongside NJPW veteran and former UFC heavyweight champion Josh Barnett. That's a hell of a team you got there, Jim. Huh? Jim. I'm here, but I can't hear you because of the damn music. Oh, there you go. Oh, who had the music on? There's a joke on here, me. <laughs> no, no, I, Jim, Jim, I can't, I can't hear the music. I know what happened. What happened? It's probably fine now. Okay. So you can hear me now, Jim, right? Beautiful. Serena, I'm sorry, wonderful. <laughs> Serena, wonderful. The tones of Tom Bernard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, thank you very oh, much, Jim. No. Great. Now he's going to be all filled. Great, with to, <laughs> great to be here, um, <laughs> Jim. I got to tell you, uh, we just, I was just talking about you and Josh Barnett working together as a hell of a team. That's a great team, as a matter of fact. He makes me uh, look good, which takes some doing at this stage of my life. <laughs> and he's also very intelligent. And I think our, our broadcast will be a... Now, somebody are going to roll their eyes on this, what I'm about to say. And that's cool. 
I think we're going to have a smart pro wrestling broadcast. I think we're going to not insult your intelligence. I think we're going to call what you're seeing and embellish on that, like calling a ball game. And uh, that'd be like Adrian Peterson carrying the ball and you're talking about the price of hot dogs on a second-level concession stand. It doesn't make any sense. It's a disconnect. So I, uh, I think that that's what we're going to do on Friday night. And I think folks are going to notice a difference and like it. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I often tell a story, Jim. And again, uh, while you were hearing music, I was talking about you being a WWE Hall of Famer. And I did. I want to mention something very quickly. One of your old compadres. Well, I don't know about that, but um, Bernie Sanders is in town today in Minnesota, plugging for votes. And Jesse Ventura uh, offered his endorsement, and Bernie Sanders said, no thanks. <laughs> Is that true? Really? Yes. That's a true story. It's a true story. Jesse said, well, listen, I'll endorse you for running for president. And and Bernie Sanders said, no, that's okay, Jesse. I don't don't want your endorsement. Poor Jesse. Poor Jesse. I know. He's not a very nice person. Not uh, these days. Not to me. Not to me ever. Oh, he's... Oh, he's always been a jerk to most people. He, he and I got along for a while until he became governor, and then it, I don't know, it kind of blew up after then that. Then he but. was the man, and Tom didn't like him. He was my broadcast yes. partner for a while. Uh, I remember that, yeah. And I, uh, I have admitted, and I'll talk about it this Friday night on The Voice Versus, this big one-hour interview that the Access is doing with me with Michael Chevallo. He asked me about why Jesse Ventura and I weren't more successful as a team, because at that point in time, some fans thought it was like a quote-unquote dream team. You know, Jesse the Body coming yeah, to WCW yep. and teaming with me and all that good stuff. And quite frankly, I didn't get along with him well. It was basically my ego getting in the way of common sense. I was a little bit uh, miffed that he was getting three times my salary, and I was doing about mm. four times the work. Uh, but that was my problem, and I admitted my problem. And so we underachieved. But I didn't ever hate him. I also did XFL football with him for a while. I remember uh, that so, too. Yeah, you know he's he's this kind of guy. You, you you can't get too wrapped up in his his beliefs. They are his opinions. So you let him have his opinion, and doesn't mean you got to buy into it. I, I I I had a lot of political conversations with him that were not endorsed. Like he loved the conspiracy theory stuff all the way back when oh, we were yeah. doing wrestling. He's a oh, very God, unique yeah. guy, very intelligent. But we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I'll take the blame for that. Well, Michelle Tafoya, who's with us right now, speaking of football, of course, Michelle does NBC Sunday Night Football. She's a sideline reporter uh, for that that fabulous, the highest-rated show on television, as a matter of fact. Now, have you ever met Jim Ross, Michelle? Uh, Jim, have we met in person? We might have met at a ball game somewhere down the road. Michelle, I've always enjoyed your work, and I think you guys do a great job. I'm a, I'm a regular viewer on Sunday nights, I can tell you that. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now, Michelle, you said that Jesse was ne- has never been nice to you. Jesse, no. No, he. I didn't. I didn't he, know that. What, he ripped why would me. He he, well, he ripped me on the air as a sideline reporter, saying that I could know nothing about football because I never played the game. And he said Cheryl Miller covering the NBA is fine because she played the game, but someone like Michelle Tafoya, yada yada. So as he's on the air on K Fan <laughs> ranting about me, I called in, and they put me on with him, and I I took him on, and he backpedaled, 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 and then I hung up and. He got back on the air and said, what a joke, Michelle Tafoy, blah, blah, blah. So he wouldn't <laughs> say to my face what he would say. You know what I mean? It was just, oh, and so I've never appreciated him. That's the, that, Michelle, that's the, 
the latent traits of a pro wrestling villain. No. <laughs> the heel. <laughs> you tr- and you cheat to gain your advantages, yeah. and then you deny the culpability of your transgressions. I see. That's a that's great wonderful. wrestling villain. And so that's what he, that's the, you got the pro wrestling villain treatment, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't, uh, didn't sit too well with me. Imagine. Jim, I have to, I have to tell you that uh, going all the way back and... In my life, I remember watching professional wrestling. Of course, Vern Gagne had the AWA in town here for many, many years, and that goes back uh, since before I was born. But as a child, sitting watching uh, Saturday Night Wrestling, it was just such a thrill for me. For some reason, why do you think this is, Mr. Ross, that professional wrestling on TV seems so accessible to everybody? Like, Like people can convince themselves, even though it's not true, they can convince themselves... Maybe I could be a professional wrestler. <laughs> There's that connection there. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think, uh, Tom, that it's just I grew up as a wrestling fan because it was we had three channels on our television, and I was the only child. I lived on a 160-acre farm in eastern Oklahoma, so I spent a lot of time by myself. So I was reading. I had a, My pal was a transistor radio. Uh, I read. I watched TV. I would do my chores. But I liked heroes and villains. Everything right. seemed to center around the basic fundamental of good versus evil. I had no problem with that, and I still like it today, even though some wrestling organizations seem to think that's too old school. But good versus evil is something that we all encounter in some shape, form, or fashion every day in our life. Uh, you know, the, the visiting team on a, at an NFL game are the villains, by and large. Yes, and the yes, home team absolutely. are the fan favorites. Duh. And so you, you play off that dynamic to create rivalries. And, it, you know, I'm a Steelers fan, so I every, when anybody, that, the Steelers in Cincinnati, the Steelers and the Browns, that's a big deal in our household because I'm married to a nice Italian lady from Pittsburgh. I speak, <laughs> there I speak you go. Moment, and I eat her cookie. I'm damn sure going to support the Steelers. I probably, I'm, not, I'm smarter than I look, thank God. <laughs> I love that. Steelers that's part of the crux of a lot of that stuff, and the storylines were easy to follow. Uh, it was episodically produced. Yep. Uh, it was local. They were talking about things going on in your market. So all those things contributed to the success of, of that of the genre that's been on since on TV since the early 50s. You know what I love, Jim, is back in that. Is there an element of that in New Japan Pro Wrestling also? I mean, obviously, there you got the heels and the good guys, but, but is I guess the well, interview the part of it. Product, yes, has, has, a, has uh, fan favorites and villains, but... The line is not as pronounced as it used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. When Vern Gagne was competing against, say, uh, superstar Billy Graham, mm-hmm. Vern was the fan favorite, and Billy Graham was the overbearing villain. No uh, but question. The line has been erased a little bit uh, on, on that thing, I, I, I believe, Tom, because New Japan has rivalries. And right. it's more realistic, it's more believable, because they have rivalries for logical reasons. As opposed to having somebody in an outlandish costume, and he's a villain, and you're over the top with it, and you're, you're, everybody's watching, is rolling, eyeball rolling. They, they present it a little bit more sane, to be honest with you. And I found it extremely refreshing because we sat down with Josh Barnett, who was the youngest USC heavyweight champion, and we approach it, and again, another eyeball rolling opportunity here, we approach it like it was real. <laughs> We approached it like right. it was legitimate sport because we didn't want to insult the talent and we didn't want to insult the fans who are taking the time to watch it because that's what they want. They don't want to be 
uh, they don't want to be duped. They want to have fun and suspend their disbelief and get lost in the story. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that's exactly what it is, a suspension of disbelief in that one of my favorite parts is it, back in the day, whether it was, uh, you know, doesn't matter, AWA or WCW or back, back it was known then the WWF back then. But um, the interview part of it, when these guys would come out, uh, and not necessarily all of them in outrageous costumes, but it was, let me just tell you something. If this doesn't change, I'm going to call my attorney F. Lee Bailey, and <laughs> I happen to know the President of the United States, and I'm going to get uh, George W. Bush in here. I loved that part of it as a kid, you know, the, the outrageous interviews. But then lately, I watched the interviews on, on some of the broadcasts, and they're just so far over the top that, that it's hard to, dis, to suspend that disbelief. Well, let me you tell know? you, here's the problem with today's interviews. They're scripted. Right. They're scripted. They are, right. You're giving yep. your promo the day you get, you, the afternoon you get to TV, and you're giving a three or four minute promo to memorize, mm-hmm. maybe longer than five minutes. And then you go out in front of a live audience with no net, you're expected to deliver that promo with uh, perfection. And, you know... Michelle does a great job, because, but she's thinking of, she's, she's her own copywriter. It's coming out of her mind. She feels it, and she, and she relays the information. These guys don't have the opportunity to be themselves. So they're, they're, a, they're an imaginary character yeah. that creative right. is giving them, and then they're giving a script, and then they're given the dawning task of memorizing their script and then going out on live television and reciting it. And I, I would say that that's not a good system. That's a system that's bound to produce less than desirable results. What you heard, what I heard when we were younger, uh, was ad-libs. It was extemporaneous speaking. Guys would get bullet points from their boss. They'd go out and put it in their own words. And that was what the magic, that's where the magic came from. There's no no question about it. And I loved it. It was the only time, I'll tell you something, Mr. Ross, the only time I ever got along with my my uh, father's father, my grandfather, my father's side. The only time I ever got along with him was sitting watching wrestling with him on Saturday afternoons or Saturday, early Saturday evening. Other than that, that I, I think that's that's not a bad. That's a pretty good win right there. That's, that's abs- a good win, I think, uh, Tom. Uh, exactly you correct. That's exactly right. right. That's I, I exactly the same right. Thing. I was I would watch wrestling <laughs> on Saturday nights. It came on at ten thirty. It was a, it, the the local news was the lead in, and in that market, wrestling had got bigger ratings than the the local news. It's all. <laughs> And so That's I would great. watch with my grandparents. So I would sit through Gunsmoke and Perry Mason. And then oh. the news would come on, and my grandmother would would make vanilla ice cream, and she'd pop open a can of Hershey syrup in the can and pour that <laughs> chocolate syrup over that vanilla ice cream. So for 30 minutes, we would have ice cream break. So I never got to I, freeze because I had 30 minutes to eat my ice cream. Then at 10.30, the wrestling came on. At 11.31, I was in bed. So yeah, one absolutely. night a week was it meant a lot to me. I could spend time with my grandparents. I stayed up late. Uh, we loved the soap opera, the wrestling. My granny, even when I started doing it, my granny firmly believed that the moonwalk was fake and pro wrestling was real. I love her. I didn't have she the might... heart to tell her otherwise. Why should I? She was uh, why should you? And she liked it. So I, I liked her liking it. And so <laughs> I got those memories of my grandparents. Thanks to pro wrestling, believe it or not, that uh, I'll always have a debt to pro wrestling for because I, those are memories that I will cherish till the day I die. Oh, that's sweet, though. That's really sweet. There is no yeah. question about it. And one thing I have to tell you, Jim, because 
You can see Jim Ross once in a while wearing a cowboy hat. You can catch that once in a while. So one thing I've always admired about Bum Phillips, when he was at a home game down in the old, uh, you know, the old Houston Oilers, at a home game, he would never wear his cowboy hat indoors. He said, I don't wear hats indoors. Oh. Right. I admired that. Yeah, I, I really it. did. Admired his character. I love that. His mama taught him better. He'd say, my mama taught me never to wear my hat in the house. She wouldn't let me wear it in her house, so I'm not going to wear it at work. Uh, I, unfortunately, <laughs> have violated that rule of Bum Phillips, uh, not because I don't uh, admit to the, his, the truth in the uh, hat in the sure. house deal, but I was going to show business environment, and that's what the yeah, well, wear. That was that was Jr.'s, uh, uh, you know, stereotype of, of, of an Oklahoman. So now I wear the hat. I go to all the OU games. I'm on the sideline with the team, and you, you can just look around. And somebody said there's a nice uh, about me. Uh, if they see a black hat on the sideline of an OU game, they take a shot. I don't endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> No, you you know, speaking of JR, I want to know where I can get JR's BBQ, JRSBARBQ.com. Where can I get some of that uh, our, our, barbecue our, our sauce? Business, our condiment business is growing. It's a, my mom always wanted people to eat her cooking. So mom made the, the barbecue sauce from scratch. My wife has been able to replicate it. So we haven't made a factory here in Oklahoma City. And uh, we make barbecue sauce, chipotle ketchup, which is sweet and smoky. And we make uh, also make uh, uh, jalapeno honey mustard called Main Event Mustard. It's got one gram of sugar and one carb. Ugh. Really good. And like uh, we got them on, online at www.shop.com. I just got cleared uh, 200 plus grocery stores in the southeast. Called and uh, it's called so, what? Yeah. Oh, we missed you. It cut out a little bit. Uh, Ingles Markets, I N G L E S, but www.shop.com is where everybody can get it in North America and have it delivered to your house. And we appreciate the uh, the consideration for that, quite frankly. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to try it. Jim, you've always been, I've, I've enjoyed your work uh, right along. We're probably close to the same age, but I've enjoyed your work all, uh, all my watch in life. I love the way you approach it. And Josh Barnett is a hell of a catch, too. You two together. Uh, got to be terrific and if you're on it i'll watch it so i'll be watching new japan pro wrestling i can guarantee you that on access tv that's very nice of you very nice of you uh tom i appreciate it very much and michelle it was really fun being able to say hello to you on the phone uh, likewise right back to you i you know what you, you, everything about you all i need to know is that you take your hat off when you go indoors i have new found respect for you sir <laughs> seriously that's beautiful well Jim, i, I, I want to wipe my feet <laughs> Even better, oh, just racking up the points. Yeah. Jim, Jim, I want to reach out to you once in a while, check in on New Japan Pro Wrestling if I could. I'd love to have you back on. Oh, anytime, anytime. Love to visit with you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time today. Okay. Jim Ross, Access TV's New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is so good at that. Yeah, he AKA is. JR. You talk about also known as JR. That's yes, right, Jim. Mostly JR. JR's barbecue sauce. <laughs> What he said, wweshot.com. Yeah. Uh, gold mine. They are going to make a fortune on this. Seriously? I'm looking through some of the pictures right. uh, in Japan, <clears throat> and they have uh, the wrestlers uh, all in their regalia. Uh, one guy's laying on his back, and they have a Japanese uh, ref. I think it's good. They yeah. love that sort of spectacle in Japan. Uh, the wrestling itself, they, oh, they, look, they look actually like they have good uh, skill, too, these guys. like Some of these moves they're doing are pretty tough. Yeah. And he said something. Yeah. Uh, he said something about the the fact that 
you know, these guys uh, have to be themselves. You know, if you look at the combination of being an actor and the athleticism that goes into this, I mean, these guys really have an incredible talent. You know, whether no or not it's a sport or not, whether or not it, there's an element of, uh, uh, of I don't know what I call it, uh, less than... Uh, but when you when you when you that, that sort of you know it's, it, whether it's fake or not or whether you think it's that it's not real right. that's not important. I mean the entertainment piece of it is an exceptional thing, and these guys really should be commended. All of them. And when you think back, I mean they all have had this great personality and this great uh, ability to be great acrobats. That's great. It's starting to resemble the GOP. Oh, hey. oh, see. Isn't it? Yeah, they don't have to do anything. Not really. Well, the GOP's only, really, Trump is the only wild card. Oh, no, no, there. no. They're all calling each other names now. Well, that's how no. it's always been, though. Uh, Attack <laughs> ads and everything. He's brought it to a different level, that is for sure. Yeah, um, it's gotten really nasty. All of a sudden, uh, Trump's a KKK sympathizer, uh, yeah, Nazi yeah, sympathizer. Uh, it's just gotten that's out sad. Well, the, I was pro Rubio until he started doing that, and now I'm pro nobody. Doing yeah, what? Hitting Get back? Get down in the dirt. Nah, he's been down in the dirt, too. He really upset me by, by with all his name-calling, getting down in the dirt with mm-hmm. all the other pigs. Yeah. That bothered me. I liked him until he did that. Yeah, what, now what, at this what, point, I'd rather just have no president. What did he say exactly that bothered you all so the much? the spray tan thing and his small hands means he has a small penis. Yeah, like, really? He never on. uttered the word penis. I know he didn't, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. These clips absolutely took it off the top rope on yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week from Greg Gagne, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and Jim J.R. Ross. Thanks for listening, everybody, and you will... See you next week.